up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We're bringing you all the live guests. We're bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. Peace and love, party people, in the place to be. It's the BKMC, Talib Kweli. This is the People's Party. This is another fantastic episode. I'm having such a good time doing this. I'm back again in the trap house, um, still in quarantine, <laughs> still in lockdown. Shout out to my wonderful, talented, lovely co-host with the velvet shirt on, Jasmine Lee. Velvet. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited because we always interview your friends. And finally, <laughs> we're interviewing one of my friends. And I'm, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Let's just That's, say that. It's good, man. We should have more of your friends up here. Yes. Okay, well, this woman, the way that she performs, she feels like a friend to the whole community. We have a legit movie star. Now, 2020, the era of celebrity is dead. Like people trying to be famous is dead. And the only thing that has value is if you're just good at your craft. If you're, if mm-hmm. you've mastered your craft, you can't just be famous. This is a craft master. Everything that she's worked for, she's earned. Um, she's an incredible standup. She's guested on shows from Bob's Burger to Sesame Street to That's So Raven to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. She was on the Carmichael show. The last OG, Tuka and Birdie, Anthony Anderson's Animal Nation. And I'm just talking about the TV roles. We haven't even gotten to the films. I'm talking about Girls Trip, Night School, Keanu, Like a Boss. Uh, Jasmine, you and I saw the next film that she's coming out in. This movie's called Bad Trip. We've seen this movie. It hasn't come out yet, but we have seen this movie. And it is hilarious. And what she did in this movie is very wonderful with Eric Andre. This woman steals the show. She's instantly classic, instantly legendary, has worked with legends and upstage legends. She embodies the word charisma. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the wonderful Tiffany Haddish in the place to be. Give it up. Hey, thank you, thank you. (laughs) How you doing, Tiffany? I'm good. I'm happy to be here on this Zoom with you guys in my comfy little home. We are honored to have you. Um, Thank you for doing this with us. Thank you for having me. You know, I wasn't going to come on unless I knew Jasmine was going to be there. So, Now, Aww. tell me about your relationship with Jasmine, because Jasmine told me she knew you, but I didn't believe her. No, she's known me for <laughs> a long time. Uh, I remember when she first was, like, coming on the scene, the comedy scene, and um, mm-hmm. our, we have a mutual friend named Samson, and he's like, Tiffany, you got to meet this girl, Jasmine. She's like your little sister. She reminds me so much of you. And so then I met her, and I was like, she all right. I mean, <laughs> she cool or whatever. I mean, she got a lot of spirit. I like her spirit, right? Right. So then, then she would be doing crazy shit. <laughs> crazy. The crazy hair colors. The yes, outfits. my rainbow braids. Yes, I'm like, does she think she rainbow bright? She would have these crazy outfits on. I'm like, what the fuck? What's going on? And I'm like, girl, be you, be you, find you. Be you. Don't be trying to, uh, you know... I was well, because you was doing something. I was like, don't be trying to entertain these niggas. Like, don't be trying to do shit for them. Like, they need to entertain you. You the queen. You the prize. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so. And then she's getting on stage, killing it, killing it, killing it. But getting, you know, you got, it takes years. 
Mm-hmm. It takes years. And so I was always right there, like motivational speaking. She got questions about something. I got answers, you know. Always okay. answers. Yes. yes. Cause I hate when mm-hmm. I was coming up, it would be hard to talk to another woman who was maybe on a mm-hmm. um, maybe been doing it longer. Like to get advice. I always have to ask these mm-hmm. guys and and if, you know, it's it's a boys' club and some of them think you view as a sister and some of them think of you as a potential piece of ass and don't give mm-hmm. you the real facts. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a it's a treacherous road to travel. Mm-hmm. But I'm proud of Jasmine. I'm proud of you, girl. I'm proud. Yeah, I'm proud of Jasmine. Oh, guys, don't yeah. make me cry. I'm hormonal. <laughs> me and me and Jasmine, um, we met at a party, and um, I just liked her energy. So when I was starting the show, I just I felt like her voice. And her energy is what I needed to balance me out. Because, you know, people think that I'm not funny. People think that I'm serious all the time. And I needed someone to just, in case I did get serious like that, to balance out the energy. Right. So, you know, we love Jasmine here at, at People's Party. And um, Jasmine moved from L- from New York to L.A. to make it as a comedian. You're born in L.A. I, I spent a lot of time living in L.A. And I often wonder how it is for someone who's, in South Central LA or one of these neighborhoods in LA that has this close proximity to America's number one import uh, export, Hollywood. And you see the Hollywood sign in the distance and you you have this proximity to this industry, but people are still living in real poverty-stricken, destitute situations. Tell me about growing up in LA and being so close to Hollywood, but still like, like for instance, to give you an example, the first time I came to LA, I took a Greyhound bus and I got off at the Hollywood station and I was like, this ain't what it looked like in the movies. Smells like pee. Yeah. Smells like pee too. <laughs> Smell like pee and throw up and ass. It's it's right. crazy. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's it's dirty. It's a little it's a little cleaner now. It's a little better right. better now. But when you came through, it was yeah. I mean, growing up in LA, see I was here, uh, I've been here since the nineteen hundreds, um, mm-hmm. since uh seventy-nine. And in the 80s, it was super wild. It's like the wild, wild west. And then the 90s, it seemed to get even more wild. Um, and I just remember, like, every time we would go to the other side of Wilshire, it's like, we're going to Hollywood. And then we come down <laughs> Vine and you see prostitutes galore. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. not like it's because it, even if you live here, you have a. Uh, idea that oh it's gonna be it's this it's that but because you're in your little box in your little community and you're like, like mm-hmm. I was in foster care so I was getting moved around from neighborhood to neighborhood and nobody was going to Hollywood nobody was going where the rich people were we weren't doing that you know we didn't have money for that so there's a lot of gang violence a lot of police brutality which I think led to gang violence personally mm-hmm. Because um, once I got into my 20s, I started dating police and I started realizing they start a lot of this shit. Mm. Um, the biggest gang. They the biggest gang. The biggest gang and will turn the another gang, turn gangs against each other so they could keep making money. You know, crime make money. If nobody's doing mm. crime, then what are... Crime pays. What am I doing here? Yeah. Right. And that's why I say if you're going to be a criminal, be a smart criminal. Okay? Mm-hmm. Don't be out here like, yeah, this is my block. And I'll be like, well, how many houses you own in this block? Oh, I don't own no mm-hmm. houses. You don't own no houses? Nah, nah. Uh, actually, we we on Section 8. You on Section 8? But you, this your block? If you get the <laughs> fuck out of here with that bullshit, this ain't your block. This the Weinstein block. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't own nothing on this right. street. So if you're going to be, I feel like if you're going to be a criminal, be a good one. Use your money, get you some land, get you some houses, then that's your block. Then if you get arrested, you got money to like 
get a mortgage on a house to bail yourself out of jail or whatever, pay for your lawyers or whatever, you know? But, mm-hmm. you know, some people don't think about that. That's right. Here at the People's Party. That's right. You're getting lessons. Um, you're a fan of the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, that's my jam. Oh, man, I love that <laughs> movie. I love shout out to Bob Hoskins. Yeah, <laughs> shout out Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit. Right. There was a line from the movie that really put you in a path that you were on. Can you share that line? Yeah, so there's a scene where the detective says to the rabbit, why are these people doing all this nice stuff for you? And he said, because I make them laugh. And if you make people laugh, they'll do anything for you. And I was like, that's wow. the ticket. That's how I'm going to get help with my homework. That's how I'm going to give me a little extra, uh, you know, coffee cake in, in breakfast. Like, I'm going to make people laugh and they'll share with me and they'll help me. Mm. And mm. that is literally how my life has been since I've watched it. Like, there's been some really mm. dark moments, but there's always somebody there to help me because I make them laugh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, you were the primary caregiver for your siblings after your mother suffered brain damage due to a car accident. Um, I read that you also said that learning how to make your mom laugh helped to put you on this path and change everything for you. Oh, yes. See, my mom had that brain injury, and I feel like they, they diagnosed it with schizophrenia, but I feel like she had one of them football player concussions, but I mean, she still may have it. Like one of, what is it called? I forget what C-T- they call it. C-T-E? That- yeah, when you get like your brain wrapped so many times that yeah. mm-hmm. it messes with you, so... She had these would have these mood swings. She couldn't use her words. You know, it took her three months to learn how to walk, talk, eat, everything all over again. Everything she had taught me, I was teaching her, right? Mm-hmm. And she would get so frustrated with things because you got to remember, before the accident, she was a businesswoman. She had multiple mm-hmm. properties. She had yeah, she had her own business, and she had she was a manager at the U.S. Post Office. So she wasn't mm-hmm. a dumb woman at all. And then to have like everything taken from you and then you got to rebuild it back, right? The mm-hmm. mind isn't the same. And so she would get violent. Like if she couldn't think of the words to say, it would just be boom, bust you in the mouth. I lost a lot of teeth, but they grew back. Mm. Um, thank God. Yeah, thank the mm. Lord they grew back. And I didn't have no like scar on my lip or nothing like that. But she, uh, she went, you know, she she got some punches. I feel like she hit harder than Mike Tyson, personally. <laughs> uh, Mike Tyson ain't never hit me, but I think my mama would knock his ass out because she definitely knocked me out a few times to the point where by the time I was 16, I was like, if you're going to fight, we're going to square up, straight up. Let mm-hmm. me get this Let me get this cast iron skillet. You trying to fight mm. me. You know, like, mm. I always try to have to get a weapon. Just, man, mm. I know you should you never have me, to fight uh, your mama like that. She never had mm. to do that, but. I know you told me in one of our conversations that your relationship with your mother made made is what helped you become so tough in Hollywood because if you could go through that at home, like there's nothing that anybody on the outside can do to break you. Exactly. Cause see, she used to once she got her words good, yeah, by the time I was like eleven, she every, I mean, she she was mean. She would say some really mean, really messed up stuff to me. And like I really think, like, I used to get so mad because it really messed with my self-esteem and messed with how I saw myself. Um, And then (laughs) I make it and, like, people talk so bad about me online. Like, y'all can't, y'all can't fuck with my feelings. Like, y'all can't mess Mm. with me because my mama used to clown the hell out of me. And that's the first person I ever loved. And, like, still Mm. to this day, I would do anything for her, even though she done... She mollywopped me. She clowned me. She broke my little spirit, but I still love her. I still love her. And I still ride for her because she my mama. 
See my mama. You only get one. Right. Um, Listen. You have also said that your stepfather told you that he altered the brakes on that car. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to get into too too many painful memories, but I can imagine, well, I can't even imagine how traumatizing that must have been as a child. But he didn't, it was trauma. The accident was traumatizing in itself because I didn't have my mom for three months. So we was like mm-hmm. going from auntie's houses and stuff. And it, it was, it was hard. But then when... I, I didn't know. Like, I just thought mm-hmm. my mom was a bad driver for a long time. And mm-hmm. then I turned 21 and I was informed. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted revenge. And I had to learn a mm-hmm. very valuable lesson that revenge is not for you to get all that. You trying to get revenge is going to mess you up in the process. And, mm-hmm. and it's for God to do. So the best revenge that you can do is take care of yourself, be successful, be prosperous, Success. create generational wealth. And mm-hmm. don't worry about that. That person that may have uh, caused you a whole lot of hurt. They they pay, he paying for it. I mean, nigga got gum disease. He got a gang of child <laughs> support to pay. Like he paying for it. So it is what yeah. it is. That's yeah. a that's a very good lesson. That uh, revenge is not justice, Mm-mm. and justice is not revenge. Um, forgiveness doesn't make to for, forgiveness doesn't make them right it makes you free that's like yes. someone told me that and i keep that in my mind um when you were coming well, up well you, were, you can always also pray on it put it in god's hands and then he put them in jail and you don't gotta have you don't have nothing to do with it you ain't got nothing to do with it i know that for a fact i see it man don't let me pray for you uh, a bad prayer <laughs> Uh, God, they hurt me, prayer, because I'm one of his favorites. That person <laughs> hurt me, God. Please handle that. They go to jail every Amen. time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> um, you also spent three years in foster care. You found comedy, uh, your comedy voice while at a comedy camp that was suggested by a social worker, right? Yeah. So tell me that story, and also tell me why do you think it's so important that we have comedy as a coping mechanism during these times of crisis right now? Well, first of all, comedy has been a coping mechanism in the African-American community since I I can remember, since day one. And and the more that I read and more research that I do about our history, I realize that the only way to keep from, like, uh, destroying everything or just breaking down and quitting is to laugh, right? Yeah. Um, But I used to get in trouble all the time in school for talking too much and, and, like, cracking jokes. And I I was doing a lot in the... Social worker kept getting called up to the school and Uh was getting tired of getting called up to the school and was like, okay, this summer you got two choices because something is wrong with you, child. You can (laughs) either go to the Laugh Factory comedy camp or you can go to psychiatric therapy. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, which one got drugs? She said, you definitely going to be on drugs if you go to therapy. So I went to the comedy Mm -hmm. camp and here I am 20, 20, 23 years later, (laughs) because it was 97 when I went 23 years later. um, Boom on drugs just marijuana and alcohol mm-hmm. but um marijuana is not a drug that's medicine well, it, yeah well it's not it's a herb let's it's seasoning i'm on seasonings <laughs> and vodka. herbs and spices <laughs> yeah herbs and spices and vodka um but but um yeah that comedy camp changed my whole perspective on life the way that i look at life um the way that i operate in this world because it was the first time that a man told me I was beautiful and I didn't think something bad was going to happen. It was the first wow. time a man told me I was smart. It was the first time a man sat down and showed me how to construct something, which was a joke. Mm-hmm. And and they gave, they were constantly critiquing and helping. 
I got to meet really great comedians. And that gave me confidence and communication skills. And even though I wasn't the most confident at that point in time, even when I started, you know, really focusing, throwing everything into comedy, I wasn't the most confident. But mm. I knew how to peacock. I knew how to pretend like I was, mm. you know. That's a great, and, uh, great, uh, great descriptor. I learned how to peacock. Yeah, I learned how to peacock. I learned how to show, show this while I'm really like, <laughs> yeah, look at that though. <laughs> like, right. You know? And so um, through all that, you know, it just helped me to grow so much and be able to communicate with all different different types of people. Okay, so recently you were a signatory on a letter to uh, for Hollywood to stop telling pro-police stories, uh, stop telling anti-black stories, and, you know, support black people more in Hollywood. What kind of black stories would you personally like to see Hollywood start to tell coming uh, out of this moment? Well, boy, I got a long-ass list. Here we go. Okay, let's go. I want to see a movie about Flojo. I okay. want to see wow. a movie about the first black female bank president in Virginia. Uh, okay. That's basically had a whole city going, right? Um, I want to see a movie. I want to see movies where black cops are good. Mm-hmm. I don't know about usually, that <laughs> I want to see one where some black cops are good so we can get some of our people to be police mm-hmm. officers over our community. I mean, every okay. movie that I see with black cops... Um, when a cop is black, <laughs> they're not good. Right. It'd be mm-hmm. like Bernie Bernie Mac in a in How to Drink Your Juice of South Central, right? I don't right. like your lips. I don't like the back of your neck. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't need what? those kind of. We see the thing is the thing is. Oh, you think you smart? <laughs> you think you smart? <laughs> the thing is, we got to change people's hearts, right? You got to change yeah, people's yeah, hearts, yeah. and in order to change people's hearts, you have to show them. Yeah those people in a different light, right? And like, mm-hmm. I would love to see a movie of a, gangbangers are real. Gangbangers are nothing but mm-hmm. a spinoff of the mob, okay? They mm-hmm. learn everything from the mob, from the mafia, you know, all that shit, like in Chicago, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Bugsy Siegel, all them people, right? That's all mm-hmm. that is a spinoff. That all came down to gangs, And right? we, cel- we celebrate the white gangsters. Right, you celebrate mm-hmm. the white ones, but you hate on the black ones. So maybe we do some movies, I don't know, where and I'm not glorifying game banging, but I want to see a game banging comedy. I want to see a comedy <laughs> about game bangers because <laughs> I know so many and it's it's so many funny stories. Like mm-hmm. it's just stupid shit they do. Like it's it's hilarious. And so I would love to see something like that. I would love to see a TV series um, that that depicts Black history, um, kind of wow. like how drunk history yeah. is operating. I would love to wow. see that. Like. Uh, yeah, Black History. Maybe maybe you mix a Dave Chappelle show. Maybe you can make a sketch in Drunk History together. Mm-hmm. And you get like a humorous tale. Uh, like it doesn't even it, it doesn't even have to be super hilarious because I watch I've been watching uh what's that show? Random acts of uh, random acts Kindness. of blackness. Uh, no, random acts of flyness. That's what's oh, random acts of flyness. Yeah, I've yeah. been watching that. And it's like all those things that they do aren't necessarily funny, but they are definitely doing programming and propaganda Mm -hmm. for pro-blackness because we never had it. That's a very woke show. Yeah, (laughs) it's a very woke show. And they talk about how woke they are. (laughs) They are very woke. (laughs) Yes, That's the wokest show on television. Super woke. And I love (laughs) it because it's like, okay, this is, it's propaganda for sure, but it's black propaganda. We never get Mm -hmm. that. Let's get some more of that. Like, um... 
And I know propagandas might not be the best word, but damn it, that's what we need. Because this news, I understand what you we mean. don't even run any of the news stations. Like, they show all these black people killing each other, but it's a gang of white people killing each other every day. I watch Hello. the ID channel. Yeah, man. Why don't white too. violence... I'm addicted. Why don't white violence is at like 87%. That's why the term black-on-black violence is a, a black-on-black crime. We grew up, you know, participating and spreading that term. I grew up listening to hip-hop, loving the record Self-Destruction. Right. The record Self-Destruction. We don't think of that as a positive moment, moment in hip-hop, and it was. But our narrative was blaming the victim at that time because that's what we felt like activism activism was. There's nothing wrong with doing for self. There's nothing wrong with cleaning up the hood, cleaning up your own community, doing for self, encouraging accountability. But that's not the cause of racism. Mm-mm. That's not the cause of our oppression. And so the term black on black crime, it assumes that crime is happening because we are black. Crime mm-hmm. is happening because we are in proximity to each other to and we're poor. Mm-hmm. You know, white mm-hmm. people commit crimes most of the time to other white people because they're around other white people. It's just who you around is who you're going to rob your from. Crime you're gonna yeah, rob. If you're going to be a yeah. criminal. And, but I want to create it, something that where we don't have to be criminals. Like if, like if somebody, like I want to open up a grocery store, real talk, a, mm-hmm. a black owned grocery store, call it diaspora groceries. And we get, mm-hmm. you, we use all black farmers. We have mm-hmm. at least 55 to 35% of our products is black owned. And then, mm-hmm. Th- and then make it a co-op so it's cheaper, a right? Co-op. And, so you're and, talking and, about food co-op. Yeah, yeah and, and and make and use local farmers too, but also get things imported for black people, right? And then mm-hmm. have us upstairs level where there's a cooking class and we get all kind of chefs in there, right, to come in here and teach us how to make food indigenous to Africa, indigenous to Haiti, mm-hmm. indigenous to Trinidad. Mm-hmm. And then you learn how to make low-fat meals, uh, alkaline meals, uh, keto meal, whatever, like a nutrition class, and then once a week have a financial literacy class that, like, yes. and, and require and get gangs to come in. Like, I know enough gangbangers, I can get a gang to come in and be like, "Look, this how y'all get incorporated, okay? Mm-hmm. This how you gonna flip that? This how you gonna flip your dough? Like, cause they make money, make but then they don't know how to spend it in a way that's legal. Like, so you talking powernomics right now, Tiffany? Exactly. I read they that book. They gonna for you. I read it. Let them come for me. Let them come for me. <laughs> They're going to come anyway. But, um, yeah, they are. <laughs> the, uh, what you guys are doing is so powerful because um, I, I, I've been, I haven't been able to attend anything because of the crowds, but I've been seeing you guys at Laugh Factory and you speaking and you and Lil Rel. And um, the black community in Hollywood is just piss poor. Like they don't have black hairdressers. When you, I do background, I know you used to do background too. We'll be on set and there'll be three black people to 25 white people. And they only use one of us. And a lot of times I'm the darkest one on set. And it's like, this is not what all black people look like. And you know, if we change the narrative in Hollywood, then maybe people will start to see, oh, black people are not just game bangers. They can own a grocery store or they can own a bookstore and those storylines will sell. So I'm, thank you so much and kudos to this yeah. movement. But that's why I signed that movie because look, my production company, we've been producing all kinds of stuff. Like I'm going to make that Flow Joe movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make that look, I'm going to make that 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 uh, sketch show that's about black history. I'm going to make that. That's happening. It is in the process. Of, it's about to be on the air and black people will yeah. be working yeah let's do a it. lot a let's lot. do it 
Let's do it. I, I love it. And then, you know, I'm like, look, I got enough money. I'm going to throw my money in the pot. Y'all don't want to do it. It's okay. I'll shoot it. I'll put right. my money in. I'll invest in these people. Like, that's what I did with They Ready. I put, I, the, that money they were supposed to give me, I said, no, let's put it in the pot. Give six other comedians an opportunity. Mm. Let's give that's them right. a half hour special. Let me show show off my friends to the world. That's what y'all mm-hmm. do all the time. Y'all show off that's y'all right. friends. I'll make money in the long run. I'm not even worried about the money being made. I'm worrying about that careers being established. And like somebody told me, Tiffany, you a gatekeeper. No, I don't want to be a gatekeeper. I'm taking the the the, the screws out the hinges. That's right. And th- taking the door and I'm laying yes. it down so you can just walk over that motherfucker. Just walk right, right on through. Like I'm not, I don't have time to stay at the gate. I want to go, I'm trying to go this way. So I'm gonna take right. the take the gate off the hinges and y'all come on. That's right. Come on, guys. I love it. I come love on. it. That's that. You're talking that talk I like. <laughs> now, um, you were part of a documentary. Well, before I talk about this documentary, you spent some time being homeless in your car at the beginning yeah. of your comedy career. And mm-hmm. that endeared you to homeless communities. And um, you were part of a documentary called about youth homelessness called Lost in America. It was produced and shot by the director of People's Party, Steve Vasquez. Shout out to Steve. Um, yeah, shout out Steve. Yeah. yeah but why was it important for you as a celebrity? to lend your face and your voice to the, to this cause? Well, it was super important to me because it's who I am. You know, like, it, it doesn't have anything to do with celebrity. If I was not famous mm-hmm. at all and somebody said, hey, weren't you homeless before? Yeah, you want to talk about this? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like God puts you through certain things. Like, you go through experiences, hard times, hardships mm-hmm. where you feel like, why is this happening to me? Man, mm-hmm. I just wish I would die. This is, sucks. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. why, this, why me? It's because it's building you up to get stronger for something else, to be able to sustain and handle something bigger. So if I don't share my story, how can I make sure that my future, which are the children, especially these foster kids, are going to be productive and know, hey, if Tiffany made it, if Tiffany could do it, and she can't even, she barely can read. I know I can Mm. do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if Tiffany survived, if Tiffany came out of it, then I can do it too. And it's mm. and it's about believing in yourself and putting the work in. And I was I just felt like wherever I can, my voice can be heard for someone that might be like me, that might go through some of the same things I go through. That I just want them to know, look, just because somebody famous don't mean they perfect and don't mm. mean they ain't been through shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did Bill Bellamy's uh, Who Got Jokes early on, which was uh, comedy on a competitive stage. Um, is that a mentality you adopted? And is that why in movies you often come and take over and be like, I'm not about to let y'all ignore me? No, uh, no. <laughs> to answer your question, to answer your question, uh, that competitive thing is not really my thing. I hate competition shows personally, and I hate competition. I don't really do well with it. I mean, because mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, it's good, I guess, to push you, to make you want to do more, like, push you a little more but i don't mind healthy competition but then there's something like, like comedians can get really unhealthy with this like yeah the mm. whole thing and like and it just don't make no sense like hey look we should be looking out for each other we don't even have a union man like comedians don't even everybody else got unions people that support them and we don't have that so yes. like all we got is each other but uh that's neither here nor there when but like you're saying um like i say oh i gotta be seen i gotta be heard i don't i think that has i don't know why i'm like that I think it's like I got this light in me that I can't dim. And when I do try to dim it, I get very depressed and in a dark place and don't want to be on this earth. And I feel like 
I was put on this planet to be an administrator of joy, to bring joy, mm. to bring happiness, to make things better. I feel like every single person on this planet is here for a reason. And it's, you're supposed to be making things better, not mm -hmm. worse. So, and I guess it just depends on what you think better is. But um, I just want to bring joy. I want people to laugh. I want people to be able to be like, oh, that makes sense. Like I've learned the most through comedy. It's the easy, anything I've learned from a, from a teacher that made me laugh, it has stuck with me forever, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, a yeah. that's the beauty of comedy um, is that it gives you that reference point to go back to. It's, um, uh, for me, one of the movies that does that for me as a, as a hip, hip hop performer, um, watching janky promoters was like watching a documentary <laughs> for me. You know what I'm saying? That was like a documentary. I was watching that shit like, oh, is this a comedy? Like, no, this is really how this shit happens. Um, a lot of people don't know you were in Janky Promoters. It did not really come out in theaters. I think it went straight to video. Yeah, Weinstein um, had an issue. Yeah. It was the Weinstein company, right? And goddamn so, Weinstein. Goddamn Weinstein fucking everything up. Mm -hmm. Um But talk to me about working on that movie with Ice Cube. Man, working on that movie was super fun. Um I got to take a take down. I think that was Young Jack. A young Jeezy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You took yeah. down you took down a young Jeezy's Jeezy, uh, young Jeezy, man. Yeah. It was it was the it was the uh, tape. I forget his what's the tape brother who was in the movie? Um Lamont tape. Yeah, yeah you said, so girl, you ovulating? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought him I said, girl, you ovulate because this is our chance. Like <laughs> yeah. and I took down, yeah, I was trying to take him down and all that stuff in that. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun because working with Mike Epps, he's a nut mm -hmm. and a half. He's hilarious. And, yeah. And Cube was really like supportive. He was there on set, like all the time and like in it and like mm -hmm. nice. I thought he was, you know, because he got that face that looked like he mean. He got that mm -hmm. eyebrow to go up. Right. Yeah, that shit. <laughs> yeah, that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> now nah, you did it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But that was more looking, Uncle Ruckus than I know. I know that was a crazy guy, but he be looking mean to me, and so I was like, "Oh, I hope he not mean." And he was like, "So cool, down to earth, real dude." Mm. I was like, "Oh, this is a real LA nigga." Okay, I'm good. Like, right. and so I had fun. I had fun, even though you know there might have been a little issue here or there, but I had fun. That the issue mm. wasn't with the movie; it was with who was right. with me. Right. Ooh. It's okay. in the book. Uh. It's in my book. Last Black you Unicorn. Know, Go get the book. <laughs> Audio. It's funny. Got nominated for um, a Grammy. <laughs> that's right. It's funny how you say that about Ice Cube, because when we interviewed Ice Cube, I was like a little bit nervous, too, because I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's so serious. How is this interview going to go? And then as soon as it started, he like loosened up and I was like, yes, this is about to be good. Yeah, he did um, come in. He came in. No, he came in. He didn't speak to anybody. He just came in and sat in the chair. He And then he was like, OK, let's start the interview. He loosened up during the interview. And after, mm -hmm. after he was cool with us, but he had to suss us out first. He was like, mm, let me see what mm -hmm. we're right. doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Y'all finna be asking me dumbass questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Janky Promoters was a hip-hop movie. What's your relationship been with hip-hop throughout your life? And what's your favorite song to come out to on the stage? Um. Okay, so ah! <laughs> I got so many favorite songs to come out to. Uh. Lately, I've been coming out to my songs that I've been oh, yes. creating, I, you know? So yeah. that's what I, I was doing before this. You got bars, like, too. Yep. Yes. I just got <laughs> bars. I'm going really far. I'm going to be a superstar. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, that's my first rap. Anyway. 
No, but um, it's you know my relationship with hip hop is like day one. Like I was always listening to the radio, doing the Running Man, the Snake. Like I knew all the dances, uh, <laughs> all like my favorite Wild Wild West. That's one of my favorite songs. The Wild cool Wild OD. West, Wild West, Wild West. Yeah, yeah I, I hear from I heard from L.A. people that because he was talking about the West Side of Uptown. Like Harlem. Uh, they used to no, go downtown. We took it for here. Y'all took it for, yeah, that's people in, in LA really fuck with that record. Yeah, because it's like, yeah. it's wild out here. Like, yeah. and up from downtown to uptown, uptown is the west side, you know, like South mm-hmm. Central or whatever. But like, yeah, because they call that the west side because the east side, you know, I'm not finna give a whole geography lesson right okay, now. Okay, okay. <laughs> but that was one of my favorite songs. Oh man, what else? Oh, anything. Does New Edition count as hip hop? Uh, it does because when Bobby Brown left the group, he did a whole album where he rapped on every song. Yeah, so listen to that. Don't be cruel. They yes, was Bobby my was prerogative. Rapping. My prerogative. My yeah, prerogative. He was that rapping was and jam. dancing at the same time with the hands-free device. Yes, yes. <laughs> he was Janet Jackson in it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. that shit. So they did hip hop generation. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, yeah. And like jealousy. I feel like that's hip hop. And then, you know, you got, I used to love cannabis. What happened to cannabis? Can I bust? Yes, you can. Remember cannabis? Yeah, so, I remember so, that song. So, you know, it's crazy. We just, right before we interviewed you, we interviewed Wyclef Jean. And Wyclef uh-huh. was like, I think he was managing cannabis. He put out that record with cannabis. Um, but, you know, cannabis, Wyclef wrote a song called Letter to Cannabis, where they had to patch up their relationship. Cannabis mm. has had a strange journey. He, um... He battled LL. Mm-hmm. I recently listened to the phone call. It's on YouTube. You can go check it oh, out. Oh, it is. Where Cannabis and LL are talking about why they why they was battling. And Cannabis is like, "Yo, LL, people think you diss me." And LL's like, "You know, baby, it's cool, baby. You know what I'm saying?" Like, <laughs> but Cannabis went to the army. Um, but me and my engineer, my engineer Federico, he's over there. He works with Cannabis right to this day. And he said, "Shut up! I is- want to work with him." <laughs> Federico, we gonna get Tiffany in a studio with cannabis. Oh my god, that yeah. would be the best. Common has cannabis on his album. Well, what album is that? One day it all makes sense. Yeah, and I, I heard him on an interview. I heard him on an interview recently talking about how he feels like cannabis washed him on that song. He did. Hey, I told him he did. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Shout He's like, oh man, I need to redo my track. Man, I should redo my <laughs> shit. <laughs> Cannabis, I think, is one of the dopest lyricists. I mean, and then I was listening to Nas all the time. Mm. Like, yeah, hip hop is really, it, it, it really like defined me. Shaggy, but that's Jamaican music, I guess. That's right. But Shaggy's music. born in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. So he's really? also hip hop, hip hop royalty. As it well wasn't as me. It's kind of hip hop, though. Yeah. And then what yeah. about Shabba Ranks? Ah, oh, Shabba. Shabba, 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 yeah. Shabba, 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 Shabba Ranks had a song called Trailer Load of Girls. I remember when I was in junior high school and I was so impressed with that. I was like, this nigga got a whole trailer. Trailer? Yeah. A trailer load of girls? <laughs> trailer load. Then, trailer load. Trailer. He would remember do, he would Patra? Trailer oh my God. Yeah, Patra, Patra was yeah. pull up to my bumper, baby. I yeah, thought, man. When that song came out, that's when I started discovering that I might be sexy. Yeah, okay, man. I didn't okay. like I didn't like the, those braids on on Janet Jackson, but I like the Patra braids. Yeah. Oh man, I, I was trying to get you my can't say you don't like anything dealing with Janet Jackson, Talib. That's just you like, know you, you can't. I, I just didn't you, like that. I I didn't that I Janet Jackson's not from Crenshaw. 
right? And in that movie, she they had her dressed like a girl from but that she area. She grew up in the valley. She grew up in Encino. She could have slept with some dudes from <laughs> Crenshaw. You know, once you sleep with a guy from a hood, you it's like you from that hood too. Yeah, but Unless another thing about wife, that movie, and shout out, <laughs> shout out to the great John Singleton. Uh, but but that, another thing about that that movie is that in the opening scene, she was dating Q-Tip, and Q-Tip got shot in the scene. I was like, that nigga ain't from LA either. <laughs> <laughs> Ty lives the LA police. I don't know. Um, I want to talk to talk to you about one of my favorite TV shows of all time, The Carmichael mm. Show. And my favorite show too. You really amazing. did a great job. You and Little Rel and you know Jarell, David Allen Greer, Loretta Devon. Yeah. I mean, this is like a stellar, a stellar like this cast is incredible. The All in the Family set was the set that y'all was on, right? Yeah, it was designed after that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We was um, on that same sound stage, I believe. I think that the Carmichael show was like the inverse of All in the Family. Because all in the family, you had this, uh, I wouldn't say David Allen Greer's character was bigoted, but he certainly was like the black version of conservative. Like y'all mm-hmm. wasn't fucking with the Muslim neighbors. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I feel like Archie Bunker wouldn't have been fucking with his Muslim neighbors. You right. know what I'm saying? It, it was the idea of um, just that 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 same aesthetic. Like, But I really love the show. I love how y'all tackle social issues. I love the idea of making sure you have the right shoes to protest. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like I see you in your recent special skipping in heels and it reminded me of Carmichael's show. I'm like, you can't protest in heels. No. You know what I'm saying? But some people or wedges. You can't there. protest in wedges. Yeah, but some people be out there in heels and wedges. I'm like, girl, this is not the club. <laughs> what do you, I know this is the perfect place to meet a man because you guys have the same ish, like point of views on things. Right. But you can do that in some sneakers. Like, Man. Um, tell me about working on a Carmichael show and that whole experience. Well, working on that show was super duper fun. I learned so much about like acting. I was working with Loretta Devine mm. and David Allen Greer, like, and they were mm. open books when it came to like, you should try this, try that. Never be afraid to to fail. Never be afraid to make a mistake. And this is the best way to learn your lines. Like Loretta taught me that if you take the first letter of every word in your line, right? And put it all together. And if you can memorize those letters together and know each word for those letters, that you'll know your lines automatically. Wow. And, and that's wow. how I learned my lines super Mnemonic fast device. Now. Mm-hmm. And I was crazy. Glad this is recorded. I, I come from a, a theater background. I went to theater school and, you know, my family, my, my father and my grandfather and my grandmother were all in theater. They were working with Woody King and National Black Theater back in the day. And wow. Loretta Devine comes out of that scene. And mm-hmm. so when you watch those sitcoms from the 70s with those black actors, they were coming straight off the stage. So when you watch Good Times, like they reading them lines like they reading for the live studio audience. Y'all had the live studio audience, right? Right. Yeah, and we so did. Yeah. With Loretta Devon, in particular, out of the performers on that show, I could see that stagecraft. I know she was from Dreamgirls and all that back in the day. But the way that her voice would carry... It was something different about seeing that on television. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I study her. I love her. And I mean, I, man, I learned so much about how to get a TV show made, how mm-hmm. to produce it. And like Gerard was so young, but had all this like opportunity because he connected mm-hmm. himself with the right people. And mm-hmm. and he told me once something that was like, I thought was genius. And I tell it to myself all the time. Like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. 
You just need to have the right ones that's willing to invest, that's willing mm. to to support the craft. That's all you need. You don't have to have millions and billions of followers. It's not necessary. And mm. once I started thinking that way, then my followers start going up. <laughs> and I'm not even right. worried about it. I'm just worried about like how do, can I get enough funding to do this project or do this thing? Like, and I want to produce all my own stuff. I watched them produce, and I'm like. Why isn't everybody producing their own shit? Why are you waiting for somebody mm-hmm. to tell you you can have this? You can, mm-hmm. We got cameras at freaking Target, at Walmart, they selling cameras. Right. Like, you can right. make this shit yourself. That's right. Keep telling them. Keep make telling them. Stories. Now, you don't got to wait on... for nobody to say yes. You say yes. That's right. Now, um, you're also in Bad Trip with Little Rel. Mm-hmm. Is your you have a seemingly wonderful chemistry with Little Rel, and he's such an incredible actor and stand up and great performer. Um, is this where your relationship with Little Rel started? Was on Carmichael's show? No, we known each other mm-hmm. since Bill Bellamy's Who's Got Jokes, and it was okay, funny because okay. he was performing in Chicago, and I was there to watch. And when uh, and I was just watching everybody, and I didn't really have too many friends in Chicago, maybe three. And so mm-hmm. when he came off stage, I went backstage and I was like, "Hi." Your name Little Rail, right? He was like, yes. I was like, my name is Tiffany Haddish, and we're going to be friends. Yes. <laughs> he was like, that's beautiful. Dobos, okay. <laughs> now, so Eric Andre told us a, a story about how he almost got Little Rail killed on the first day of shooting for Bad Trip, and how you called him and said, yo, you almost got Little Rail killed? And he said, yeah. He was like, I want to be in your movie. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that how the story go? <laughs> So, so Rail called me and was like, this motherfucker trying to get me killed. And like, he was going off. He's like, can you believe he happens doing this shit and this, that? I was like, damn, that's crazy. What's the movie about? And so right. Rail was telling me, I was like, I want to be in that movie. <laughs> like, I want to do that. Like, right. play so that's something different than I've ever played before, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I hit up, I hit up Eric and Eric's like, yeah, this happened. I said, you almost killed Rail. He was like, yeah, I was like, so can I be in a movie? He was like, what? I said, if you need any help, let me know. If you need me for anything, let me know. And then right. like two days later, he's like, Tiffany, please be in my movie. I would love it if you were in my movie. <laughs> That's dope. And then they found out how much I normally get paid. And he was like, well, I don't know if we can afford you in this movie. I was like, give me some back end points that you can afford. Amen. That's right. Okay. Let's talk about Girls Trip. And first of all, before we even go, Dina... Just like I, as you said, you know, I'm a wild child and I'm also the friend that always gets invited to party, but doesn't get invited for the serious moment. So when you had that, uh, that scene, when you were at the bar and just like pouring your heart out, it's like, I had tears in my eyes. So I was like, oh my God, this is my life. Like I really feel connected to it. You were pretty much stealing scenes and everyone says that movie pretty much like made you in a certain sense. Uh, what was your mentality stepping foot on that set? Um, my mentality was just to have fun. Like it was something that was in my dream book to work with Jada, you know, that's on my list of goals. So mm-hmm. my goal was just come on here, have a good time. Maybe I'll make some friends. Maybe I won't, but I'm going to do my job and I'm going to have a blast at it. And I'm going to be my best self because when I read the script, I was like, somebody been partying with me. Somebody mm-hmm. knows how <laughs> I get down. And how did they get this grapefruit in this, in this movie? Because right. I've been doing this since 2012. I saw the video <laughs> oh with Auntie Angel. I'm getting this right. job. This is going to be my job. And mm. 
So I just came think also with the mentality of I'm here to be of service. So mm-hmm. any way that I could be helpful to the director, I'm going to try. If I got some ideas, I'm going to throw them out. And I would throw them out. And, and I love Queen Latifah. Dana is my everything. Because she'd She's be like, great. do that shit, Tiff. Do it. Just do it. Like, mm-hmm. always egging me on. I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like, which made the movie great. Yeah. Shout out to everybody who knew about the grapefruit before Girls Trip. I just right. want to shout y'all out. Y'all a special, a special <laughs> okay. one. That's how I got my Corvette in 2013. <laughs> oh man, I need a Corvette. <laughs> um, get you a grapefruit. Um, we also recently interviewed uh, Method Man, um, and um, you know I got to hang out with you and Method Man at the same time on the last OG set. Yeah. But you were also in Meth in uh, Keanu with uh, Jordan Peele and uh, 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 and Method Man, and talk to us about working on Keanu because I feel like that was underrated. Well, that movie, see, that movie is what opened the door to Girls Trip. So working at Keanu was super fun and got to work with animals and stuff. And then I'm chopping it up with meth men. We blowing big weed, laughing and stuff after the scenes because I'm not smoking weed in front of camera. I'm not going to be high in front of camera, except for right now. But when (laughs) I'm being paid, you know, we would like to be like, okay, wrap for the day. Hit a couple of like, hit the joint and then, all right, bro, all right, bro. See you tomorrow. Like, and like I would run, rap, we would rap battle with each other and stuff. Like I love playing with him. Like that's a big bro for real. Always mm-hmm. supported. If I make a song, I'll send it to him to get his critique, and he'd be like, "Sis, this is dope." Or "Sis, you need to destroy this shit. It's garbage." Right. <laughs> like, right. So I love working with him and all the crew. I would, I would go out with the crew on the weekends. I would do comedy shows when I was doing Keanu. So I would invite crew members to come to the comedy shows. And they're the ones that got me in Girl Trip. They're the ones that okay. was like wow. sending me the script. Like I got eight scripts from eight different crew members saying this, you should be in this movie. Like this was us mm-hmm. last summer. Like you gotta come, you gotta get in this movie. And when I told my agent, like, hey, these crew members keep sending me this, like, see if we can get me in that. And they were like, oh, they only want to see names. And that's when I, that's what made me want to do the job even more. Right. Like we only want names. I was like, well. You tell them that I've had a name since 1979 and it's Tiffany motherfucking Haddish. Let me come Mm. in and (laughs) pre-read. And they did. I had to audition four times or five times, a lot. Four or five times I had to go to that office and Mm. I got the job. Beautiful. So yeah, Yeah. Keanu led to Girls Trip directly. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about She Ready uh, 2017. (laughs) Came out when a time you didn't even really need to do a stand-up special. Um, why is it so important to get so personal and vulnerable um, just as you are breaking through? Um, because I want people to know who I am. I don't want people to try to like, which they still do anyways, try to put you in a box or try to say like, oh, you got you just this stereotype, which I'm a variety <laughs> of stereotypes. And there's stereotypes for a reason because there's people that exist like that. So... Mm-hmm. So I am, I am what I am, you know, and I want people to know that like, I'm never like, I, I feel like it's important to always express your true stories and who you are and put yourself out there. Cause if you put it out there first, then can't nobody use it against you later. Okay. Right. That's that eight tell, mile philosophy. Right. I tell all my dirt. I tell all my right. dirt. So I don't have no dirt. All I got is, right. is a garden. Everything's growing over here, baby. Cause I put yeah. the shit already out there. The shit you got out. bars, Tiffany. That's a yep. bar. Yep. Oh, it is, isn't it? Bars. A bar. Yeah. Notes bars. to self. <laughs> um, now, you also, through all this hard work, made history to be the first 
African-American woman stand-up comic to host Saturday Night Live. And you got an Emmy for that. Um, tell me about why that gig was so important for you personally. Well, it was important for me personally because I have auditioned for SNL several times. So um, when <laughs> I think that last audition, when they had like all the black girls, all the black girls in Hollywood, everybody come like Cinderella or something. But they already knew who they wanted. You know, so at mm-hmm. that point, I was just like, yeah, that's probably never going to happen. And if it ever do happen, I'm going to be a guest. Like, I'll be a mm-hmm. guest. And I didn't think necessarily a guest host. I thought like a guest, like in a sketch or something. Right. And when they came to me to do it, I was super excited. I was super honored. I had this notebook that I've had for years of all these sketches and I brought it with me and it was like pointless. Yeah. Because with. I had to realize, I had to learn that this is a machine that's been running for 40 years, you know, plus. Uh, so, and it's well oiled. So all I need, I'm like the earrings, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just need to make sure my monologue, so I made sure my monologue was on point in that um, I talked to every single writer of every sketch. So maybe one or two of my little jokes or ideas could get in it. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I kept it simple. But I lost 10 pounds that week. Okay. Because it's, 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 it's not easy. It's a lot it's of hard work. work. Yeah, they do it work. every week, and they do yeah. it every week. And I'm like, I'm, I am, I am grateful and thankful that Lauren never hired me because <laughs> I would not have made it in that work environment. Yeah. It is a lot. You have to create fast and quick, and it needs to be good. And it's a lot of hours. I would, I wouldn't have made and it. It needs to not only be good, but if it's bad, you need to have the the, the willpower and the courage and the to understand it to to weather that storm. There's been a lot of years where people said SNL was just not good and they still had to just keep keep doing it. Yeah, keep pushing through. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess maybe if I was put under the pressure, I would, but yeah. It was it was a lot of, it would be a lot of sketches. I'm like, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Like, I know I'm right. ghetto, but I ain't that motherfucking ghetto. Like, I would right. Because <laughs> that's what I was saying a lot. Right. So... <laughs> Word. You were at the famous party where Beyonce was bit. A story we only know because you told it so hilariously. Is that like the first <laughs> thing people ask when they meet you? A lot of people do ask. Mostly, n- not a lot of black people ask, but a lot of white people like, so who did it? Who did it? Who did it? Tell <laughs> me. You funny. can tell me. You can tell me who did it. Tell me. Please. Tell me. <laughs> I'm like, if you don't know, you ain't supposed to know. Right. Mm. Do you currently have a relationship with Beyonce now? Yeah, we cool. That's the homegirl. If she know I would ride, she know I would whip somebody ass. Hello. <laughs> she know everybody know that. Everybody know now. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like the story you told about uh, hanging out with her mom. Oh, I love her. Special. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, Miss Tina. Now, what I find awesome is the whole trajectory of you going for someone who you speak a lot about how you didn't read that well. And that you didn't really learn how to read better until you became a teenager. And now you have this best-selling book, Last Black Unicorn, and best-selling audio book. That journey is so inspirational. Do you have a word of advice for people who are maybe that age, junior high school, high school, people in the hood who are having problems with reading and feel embarrassed by it? First of all, I don't think you should be embarrassed by it at all. And mm-hmm. I, I personally... Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong because maybe because everybody don't have cell phones. But I feel like they, I feel like it's a lot of kids out here that can't read because these text messages I be getting and these. Texts, oh, they be yeah. Horrible. I'm like, ooh, 
Ooh, okay, baby, we got to get on the My Baby Came Free program or Hooks on Phonics. <laughs> like, I don't, I feel like there should be no shame in not knowing how to read right off the top. First of all, nobody's born knowing how to do that, okay? Mm-hmm. You're not born knowing how to read. That's something that you have to learn. And everybody learns differently. So I don't think anyone should ever feel shame. And it is never too late to learn any skill, anything. Like, kids are like, yeah, I was thinking about getting into comedy, but I'm 18, so it's too late now. I'm like, it's too late, shit. It's just the beginning. And even I met, met this 50-year-old man, and he was saying he always wanted to do stand-up, but he is afraid and because uh, he's too old. I'm like, you're the perfect person to do stand-up. You have 50 years of life experience mm. to share, mm-hmm. and you have a great personality. Mm. Get on stage. And now, like, well, right before COVID, he was touring. He was touring, like, mm. headlining. So it's like, it's never too late. And, and just because you don't know how to do something now doesn't mean you can't learn to do it later and never feel ashamed for not knowing something. Just do better. Yeah, that's such a good piece of advice because I come from academics. My parents are professors and I run a bookstore and mm. I'm, I'm around a lot of academics and a lot of times academic people can be very elitist. Yeah, and they look down that, on you and shit for no yeah. reason. Yeah. Just because you can read good, bitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm an excellent farmer. That's right. That's right. That's right. And who's to say that's not more or less valuable than learning how to read a book? Right. And feeding people, you know? Right. Um, Now, that reading a book is important because that's where the knowledge is at and that's where the power is. That's right. You know, that old adage if you want to hide something from a nigga, put it in a book. Put it in a book. (laughs) That's what they say. Uh Um, I loved the Lego movies. I loved the Lego movie one. I loved the Lego movie two. But the reason why I love the Lego movie two has everything to do with your character that you played. That uh, whatever Wanabi yes, character. Queen, queen whatever Wanabi. Yes. That's such a brilliant, brilliant character. I think it was well written. But I don't know how much you had to do with the writing or how much you made it yourself. But I feel like either that was written around you or you just made that so much a part of who you are. Um, tell me about working on voice acting because you've also done like Fraggle Rock and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, this a lot that- of stuff coming up. I got a bunch of cartoons. SpongeBob SquarePants is getting ready to come out. I'm in that. Oh. Like, um... Mama, yeah, I made I it. a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Mama, <laughs> I made it. I made it, Mama. <laughs> Tuka and Birdie and all that. But, yeah, working... Okay, so it's so funny because they came... Okay, so... Lego Movie 1 came out, right? And then Girls Trip came out, like, maybe a year later. And then the... Uh, I was at the upfront and the guy that run that runs this company is like, I'm gonna put you in our cartoons. I was like, Yeah, right, you ain't gonna put me in nothing, <laughs> bullshit, whatever. White men mm-hmm. always say that. White men always say they're gonna do something and you never hear from them again. He was like, Mark my words, I'm gonna look at it. I was like, sure you are. Okay. Right. Then like six months later, get a phone call. Boom, they said that they got this character. They really feel like it, it applies to me, like that it matches me very well. And um, I asked them to describe her to me, send me a picture of her. And I was like, okay, I like it. And then when I got in the studio, they had, you know, you, you don't get to see the whole movie. You only get to see your lines and the person right. you've seen with lines. So I was like, added shit, like, you know, added things. Because I know seeing with Kevin, I know Kevin's going to jump on that. And I'm going to jump on it. Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, not with Kevin. Ah, What's that man name? Chris? No, not Chris Pratt. The what? man who played Batman. Uh, that's my friend. Oh, Will Arnett. Yes, Arnett. Will Arnett. Yeah. So hey, That's my favorite Batman, by the way. The Lego Batman, the Will Arnett the, one. 
best Batman, right? Yeah, that so Lego Batman, would, I think is, yeah, that's the one. So we would play off these, like they would let me hear his recordings and then I would add a little something. Like, so it was always fun. And like the director was so good. I had fun making that movie. I was in my pajamas every time I went in there. <laughs> so that's the best way to work. Mm-hmm. Word up. Um, I'm so happy I got to work on Last OG with you. Um, you know, that was such a wonderful experience for me. Um, I just recently watched Black Mitzvah. Now, uh, your father is Eritrean, mm -hmm. right? And yes. you recently leaned into your Ethiopian Jewish heritage. Is yes. that correct? Yes, uh, Eritrean Jewish heritage. Eritrean oh, Jewish heritage. You can call yeah. it, what, you can say what you want. I mean, they all. <laughs> it's all the same people. <laughs> a lot of tribes. But, it's a lot of tribes, man. It's a lot of tribes. Now, a lot of people don't even know that black Jews exist. Like, you know, when I grew up in New York, there's a lot of like Hebrew Israelites who stand on the corner and be like, no, the original Jews, the black man is the original Jew. And people be like, they crazy. It's like, nah, you, you the nigga they was talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Bible, <laughs> the Bible tells you, if you read the Bible, mm -hmm. like it describes everything that happened to us. You know, mm -hmm. we, we are the ones like, we got taken away from our land, lane, name stripped of you, religion, everything is stripped, your mm -hmm. culture, and you enslaved. Like, yeah. 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 I like it, especially when you said the world raised me. It did. That was a very poignant point. Um, now, I knew, I just noticed as I was talking to you, I got this Miami hat. Um, I was partying in Miami once, um, and I had a similar situation to you. Um, I, you know what? Actually, I wasn't partying. <laughs> There's a show called Drink Champs. Hosted uh -huh. by Noriega, right? Uh -huh. And on this show, they get you drunk and then you talk for three hours. I did Drink Champs and I got so fucked up that I missed my gig. The promoter came banging on my door because for some reason, the promoter had my hotel room information. That's not usually <laughs> how I get down. Right. Then, but I remember like, I got to the gig like three hours late. I had to wear the promoter's baseball jacket and sunglasses because I still had my beach gear on from the day from early in the day. So I understand how going to Miami, you get so twisted and so lit that the gig just turns into something else. Mm -hmm. And watching you talk about that gig in your special was just, it was so honest. It was so beautiful. And how you said you are talking about it now because you're locking up their cell phones. You know, Dave and them do that, do that all the time. Mm -hmm. But, um, but the best part about that story was the star bars you got from Sinbad. And yeah. that Sinbad let you know they talking about you, so you must be a star. That made me want to cry when he's I did cry when he said it. Oh, and I was just like, oh, I wish my mama could hear this. Like, because yeah. <laughs> she's in love with Sinbad. And I was like, I think he's trying to date me. I don't know. <laughs> this might this might be a way to get revenge. Wait, revenge is not for me to get. Let it go, Tiff. But um, yeah, wait. You said you were gonna um, say I don't want to oh, give away the joke. People, your mom by people need to watch that. the special because the joke you had was crazy. <laughs> That's the thought I had. There's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole like, and that that goes into a series of jokes that I didn't do on the show about mm. you know getting revenge and like how women we always <laughs> think about it but we don't necessarily yeah. do it but we think yeah, about I, it. I, no, I felt that one right. in my soul. I felt that one in my soul. <laughs> like when you said that shit, I stopped in my tracks and bet, doubled over like. <laughs> It's true, but that was, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that Miami situation was crazy. And you know, I like to talk about my mistakes. I have no problem mm -hmm. talking about my mistakes because maybe it'll keep someone else from making the same dumb ass mistake. 
Mm-hmm. And it reminds me not to do that shit again. So, mm-hmm. and I just felt like it was important to share because people made such a big deal about it. I was like, what, nothing else happened on New Year's Eve? Mm-hmm. Is this only me fucked up in the whole wide world? I'm the only one that right. made a mistake in the whole world? <laughs> this can't be true. Nine months from now, there will be babies and there will right. be fuck ups here. I'm not the only one. <laughs> like, people on Maury. I'm not uh, the only person that messed up on a job. Like, come on, y'all. Um, I know that you're one of the people that like, you know, I look up to and that I know I can always text if I have a question about what anything, an audition, a stand up or just like a personal matter. When you were coming up, who did you look to when you needed advice for certain things in the industry? Um, well, I was talking to <laughs> my agent. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I would hit up like Tom Dreesen, uh, Jamie Masada, the owner of the Live Factory, Godfrey. Uh, he would help me a lot. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's we like, had him yeah, on the we show. Interviewed him. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. He's a that, great, that's, good friend of mine. That's like my big brother, right? There. That man looked out for me so many times. Um, Chris he works. Spencer. Yeah, he works. Shout out to shout out to Chris Spencer. Shout out what Chris you, Spencer. Yes, Chris Watch Spencer. all the way black. Yeah. Well, Chris Spencer is doing on IG, and Vanessa is is wonderful. I know I got called in a few minutes to wish them happy anniversary. It's their, yes. it's, it's their anniversary. And then, uh, oh, man, who else? So, oh, you know what? Sherry, sure, yeah, Sherry Shepard. She mm-hmm. saw me for the first time at the townhouse. And she was really nice to me and was like, give me a call anytime you need anything. And I called her once. And then we talked and stuff, and it was great. And then I called her again, and she never answered. And I called again, and she never answered. And I called again, and she never answered. And then, that was a one-time thing. Was a, you get one only. It's yeah, maybe one first time. you get the number, then you get the answer. Yeah, and then and then and then I ran into her, and now we talk all the time. Now it's like mm. all good. Like we can reach out anytime. Like, hey, girl, hey, girl. So it's like I think we just lost contact. But mm. those are people I really looked up to. Um, Paula Bell was really mean to me at first, but I looked up to her and Leslie Jones was very mean. But then she started to respect me. Mm. Got to okay. see my hustle. She had to see my hustle. Cause you know, do y'all know Leslie Jones? Yeah. Oh, I know her. Leslie don't yeah. play no shit with new comics. She'd be like, how long you gonna be here for? How long yeah. you gonna be doing this? You here to get prepped, what you here to do? Yep. Did you hear to do? Yo, you here to tell jokes for real? Nigga, are you trying to tell no real jokes? <laughs> I've had a couple of convos with her. I don't know if she knows my name yet, but I've talked to her about three or four times. She sent me some very interesting DMs that I'm going to share one day when I'm old. <laughs> I love Leslie though. Like yeah. we have, it had got to me being like, is she trying to fight me? Does she, does she hate my guts? <laughs> to us riding to gigs together for hours on end and laughing about all kind of stuff. It's just like, she just needed to see that I was serious about it. Because like right. a lot of females do come into this comedy game and they are easily manipulated by male comics. And the next thing you know, they're pregnant or their souls <gasps> are beaten down and they don't want to do comedy anymore. <laughs> I'm pregnant so, by a male comic yeah. right now. I know. Oh, you are? <laughs> well, right. don't but let that stop game. you. Five <laughs> years and coming in the game on some modeling shit. <laughs> don't <laughs> let that baby Tiffany stop told you. me was don't have sex with any of these male comics. Don't have sex with any of them. And I listened for five and a half years. So I did a good job. Yeah, good job, Jasmine. She was good only job. fucking the female comics. 
I was though. But it's, right. Right. it's right. funny because it's true. I'm sorry if I'm putting you on blast, but you know I can't. No, keep they no know secrets. already. They know. Okay, yeah. good. All right, good. <laughs> I don't keep um, you were also in a uh, self-made, right? Yes. Yes. Now. Karis One, speaking of hip-hop, we were talking about hip-hop earlier. The first time I heard the name C.J. Walker was in a Karis One song called You Must Learn. And he says, Madam C.J. Walker made a straight in a cone. And so I'm very glad that you're a part of this movie. Thank you. I was happy to be a part of it. It was something that I was trying to like get the rights to myself, but I didn't have enough money for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I couldn't do it. Didn't have the power. And when I found out Octavia had it, I was like, yes! Because I wouldn't, I, I would have cast her anyways. That was like my right. thought anyways. And we had shot sketches together back in the day. So I thought, oh, she'd be perfect. Oh, sorry. She'd be perfect. And then um, when I found out she had it, I was like all over my team. Like, if y'all don't get me in this movie, I ain't everybody fired. I'm telling you right now, I need to be in this thing. And it was a movie at first. And then it turned to a series. And, the, and it was like, maybe you shouldn't do it. It's a series. I was like, if y'all fuck this up for me, I'm shooting everybody. Like, I want to be in this. I want to be a part of telling our story, mm-hmm. telling our history. You know, it's really important for us to know where we come from, who who did what. Like, we don't know that. They don't teach us that in school. And we mm-hmm. need to know these things. So we have pride. So and, so and other people need to see it of other races so their hearts can change and not think that we're just a bunch of motherfuckers trying to live off of somebody. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. We out right. here creating shit. That that's light bulb right. was created by a black man, but you know, right. Mr. Garrett Bell. Morgan. Yeah, Mr. Bell just got the damn mm-hmm. uh, patent. That's all he bought it off of. Stole it. Yeah. You know. Uh, you and Common did a Bumble quarantine date. Oh, damn, I'm the time sure. is up. It's crazy. The time. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure if that was just for cameras or my not. Alarm, my alarm would just you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure if that was just for the cameras or not. But what has your quarantine looked like? Uh, what have you been doing to try and stay active and sane during this uh, trying time? Well, at first, I'm going to be honest with you, quarantine was, it was, I was sleeping a lot. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was active on some apps and um, I was gardening a lot. And that was the first like, you know, month and a half. And then, yeah, I don't, right I'm up. not on, I'm not on those apps no more. I mean, no <laughs> I check my messages, you know, <laughs> just, you know, I stay aware, but yeah. Well, Tiffany, well, I I'm, hope I I'm see enjoying you. myself. Beautiful, beautiful. But I ain't gonna be <laughs> pregnant like Jazzy. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> although, although maybe I need to be, but I'm not. You I gotta got, play Flojo first. I gotta get this Flojo out first, and then you used to run track, right? Yeah, I used to run track and field, all city. But so tr- Flojo was like a hero. Yeah, I used to get my nails done because of her. I used to try to wear like little cute outfits, leggings with one leg off and all that stuff. Try to get my hair weaved like hers. Like yeah. Now that I'm thinking about her, she achieved her fame in the 1984 LA Olympics, right? That's where she first got noticed and she got like bronze medals, but she didn't mm-hmm. get, she got her gold in, uh, was it uh, 90, uh, 89, uh, 88? Her sister is Jackie Joyner, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Who I met, who's super awesome. And I've been training with her husband, Al Joyner. Okay. Mm. I'm not playing when I say I want to see things. I don't say it unless I know I'm going to see it. Word up. 
That's Tiffany Haddish for y'all. Yep. Tiffany Haddish on the People's Party. Thank you for joining us. Oh, Thank it's so you. awesome to have you, Tiffany. Thank Yay. you so much for sharing you. your time Yay. and your energy and your inspiration. And I know everybody watching this is going to go out and make sure that they work hard to achieve their dreams because that's what you Good. make me feel like doing. Good. Well, now, yes. let, now let me call Common back. <laughs> <laughs>